0: Thank you for joining us here at Prevail Church for this podcast. We hope this experience builds your faith and impacts your life. For more information about Prevail Church, visit us online at prevail.tv. Now let's tune in. How are we doing this morning? Doing good? Oh man, I needed that today. I'll be honest with you, all I needed that. That, that was beautiful. So, this morning, I just want to make a statement. God doesn't play with dice. Who's heard that before? Have you ever heard that God does not play with dice? There's no coincidence, right? There's, there's no, the, he doesn't gamble. He knows, right? How can God gamble if he knows? How can he place a bet, you know, who's ever played lies dice? Remember Pirates of the Caribbean, they're betting years on the ship for, you know, Lies Dice. Great game. Um, I was so happy when they put that in that movie. But anyway, I digress. God doesn't play up dice. And what Roger and then Fred said made me smile. So this morning's sermon is called Define. Don't know if we have a title page for that yet. Apparently not. (laughs) That's all right. Um, It's called define. It comes up. It's coming. To play on words here, define. Maybe. Is it coming? A three. A two. No, we don't have it. Never mind. It's called define. We don't have a title page. That's cool. I actually spelled it D-E-F-Y bracket I-N-E bracket define. Little double entendre there, I guess. So, I wanna define us. Ooh, I wanna define you. So that comes with this great question, who are we? You could take the easy way if you're in class and the teacher's like, what's the answer? You'd be like, Jesus is the answer. Together we prevail, we are prevail, right? That'd be one answer. We are prevail. My second, let's go deeper, let's go deeper. Let's zoom out. We're people, right? We are uh, human beings. We're ninety-five percent of us in this room are Americans. It's still a green card. <laughs> it's gonna gonna flex that as long as I can. Um, we're South Carolinians, right? We not all of us originate from here specifically. Ohio, Colorado, Virginia. Where are you from? But we live here, New Zealand. We we live here. Um, We live in Greer, Lyman, Greenville, Taylor's, wherever, wherever, wherever. Um, My point is we're part of geographical groups. Let's expand it then. Christians, we're Christians. Part of a religious grouping, if you will. You could, uh, political groupings, Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, non affiliated. I think the Green Party exists in this country, I don't know. My point is, there are those groups, right? We've got all these groups that we're a part of. And that's the problem. <laughs> that's the problem. And it's also an answer. It's gonna be complicated today. Buckle up. It's gonna be, be an interesting one. See, I've noticed this real scary trend in culture. Globally, But since we're in the West, we're in the Western world, we're going to talk about the Western world and our culture. The culture we're in now. Have you noticed that we define the group we're in and the groups others are in by what we're against? Think about it. We, we love to be like, yeah, I am, uh, you know, I stand for this, stand for that. Uh, that. That gets stated. But when was the last presidential uh, debate you saw? Congressional debate. When was the last debate you saw where it wasn't arguing solely against the principles you think the other person has? Last argument you had with your, your estranged uncle at Thanksgiving um, about this XYZ usually goes along the lines of, you're against what he's saying and that's what you're taking a stand at. That's the hill you're dying on, usually. Most of the time when we take issue with something, whether it's another group or an individual, it's almost always not because you see something in them you like, right? Most of, most of our conversation, most of our definitions of others, think about this. I want you, I want you to think about this. Sports teams, Broncos fan. My wife is one, Av- Avs, big Avs fan, loves, loves her hockey, um, violently loves her hockey, seriously. <laughs> she got Braxton Hicks while pregnant with our first child watching a game she had to stop watching. She was that into it, she gave herself contractions. So my point is she's a big Avs fan. Red Hawks, Red Wings, Red, Red Wings, right? The rivalry, right there, right there. The Red Wings, the rivalry there, right? (laughs) Hurricanes, we've got some Hurricanes. But my point is, you have rivalries. If I say Raiders, 99 people in a crowd on this side of the country is going to be like, ugh, right? Whether it's the fans or the team in general, the Raiders. You almost always, when you think of another team, are you for them or against them? That's I mean that's my entire nation's identity is against Australia in sports. That's my whole nation's upbringing. Seriously, you you see Australia playing in any sport, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who they're playing. They could be playing against Russia right now and you're like, "Man, that war in Ukraine's bad, but I hope they beat Australia." Like, I'm not even joking and this is a problem. <laughs> this is a real problem we have as a nation in New Zealand. <laughs> we we will always root for whoever's playing against Australia. That's messed up, (laughs) but I kind of get it. But (laughs) God's working on me real hard. Um, There are lovely Australian people, just God's working on me. Anyway, I digress, let's get a little more nasty. Let's think of the language we use uh, on a recent subject, abortion, pro-life, pro-choice. Now that says what you're for, right up front. But what does it insinuate? It insinuates if you're not on this side, you are con, you are against. You're against life. You're against women's choices. It insinuates by the very language we use, the very language politicians use when they talk about it. I don't care what side of the fence you're on or even not a part of it, if you think the whole system should burn, it doesn't matter. The language we use in society splits us. It pushes the other way. If you're not on my side, you're against me. It is, uh, it's very divisive, right? And It's permeated throughout our whole culture. Uh, and this is where it matters. It's all about branding, it's all about PR. And that's one of the coolest things I love about that on that wall right there. It says, together we prevail. That's one of the least divisive statements I think I've ever seen in a church. And I'm not saying it because I'm a part of this church or I helped paint these walls. I'm not saying it for that reason. A lot of paint went on that wall. Um, Richie, shout out to you, buddy. But it scares me in culture. Because we are defining ourselves and others with a divide, with what we're against. I don't like that worship song. I don't like how he talks. We're constantly then separating out. We'll, we'll do this in big churches especially, small churches, big churches, doesn't matter. But what you'll have, you'll have the 9 o'clock people because they're like that type of worship and you have the 10 o'clock or the 11 o'clock. whatever time church splits, you'll have different sets. And you have the late night, Sunday night folks and you have the Wednesday night folks. And that's great. Everyone needs a flavor. But there's so much danger for me. It scares me. It scares me in big churches. It scares me so much in in Christianity when we start to criticize other groups. Instead of saying, oh, I just like worship at this time or getting up at this time or this different style. I just like it. We start saying, no, I don't like worship at that time. You see the difference there in perspective and how we talk about things. Because the moment you start putting negative connotations to the other Gets, it gets scary. Man, I haven't even started reading the Bible yet. I'm getting into this. I want to... It didn't update. No. Oh. Apple. am going to have to pull out this. I'm going to have to do two sets of notes here because I, I got crazy. So I've started uh, this last few weeks. I was meant to preach last week. Um, I had a cool intro song. I got food poisoning. I didn't get to use the cool intro song summer playlist series. So we kicked the intro song. But this, this the whole time we've been reading from Romans 7 and 8. Um, y'all want to read 7 and 8 for homework, please. It is beautiful and glorious. I want to say read all of Romans. Because when we start putting chapters and verses to things, we're really segregating up what was intended. Paul wrote letters. Yeah. He wrote letters. He didn't write scripture, Old Testament style, that then got divided up and cut and pasted and stuff. Um, He wrote letters, and it's beautiful. So read all of Romans, and read it as a story, because that's what it was intended as, guys. It's it's, it's a letter. It's a thing. Read the whole thing. Stop taking verses. But here I am. I'm about to take verses today. So (laughs) we're getting into this. (sighs) I want to talk about Christianity as Christians, as people, as a corporate embodiment, globally, locally, whatever. We've done this real messed up thing, especially the last 300 years, especially the last hundred and or so years since revivals started happening in the West, tent revivals in the 20s, 30s, megaphones, all that. We've done this crazy thing and it's defined us. It's defined us to the other, because we think Christians, non-Christians, secular, how many times have you heard that word, secular music industry, or the Christian music genre, why is it even a genre, y'all, it's music, but my point is, I guess that's the definition of genre, segregates things out, anyway, talking faster, because I'm excited, because I can't wait to get this out, because Christianity has this obsession with sin, slap it up there, I've got a slide, I hope, yeah, we have an obsession with sin as Christians, and it has defined us. Oh, it's defined the world around us. It's defined every single interaction between those who are Christian and those who aren't and those inside Christianity with each other. It has defined us so aggressively that we define our, our faith by it. Right? Think about this. Think about this. When you talk about... Your past. When you talk about things you've done, it's so. It's so negative. It's so painful. And yeah, I mean, I can I can preach here on this. I can preach really hard on this. My wife knows. God bless her. She knows my past. She knew it before we got married. I went to her when we started dating, and I'm like, "Honey, this is the man I was." This is the life I chose. This is and that's the thing, I chose that life. Ooh. I chose to run. And even now when I talk about it, you use such a negative terminology. I ran, whereas with God I walk. Right? Right? My walk of faith. We use such negative terminology because it's all sin-based terminology. Now sin bad. God, good. we real easy establishment, and that's I'm not saying no to that. Do not mishear me. Oh, but it is tainted our view of God and ourselves. I'm going to proposition that so hard right now. Welcome to my TED Talk. <laughs> it's, it's going to be a rough one. See, we've taken the story of Christ and we've distilled it down, right? Right? We've taken the mash, and who likes hops, right? We've taken the mash, we've taken it, we've distilled it, we put it through the the still, and now we've got this really, really potent, cool thing we can give out in shot glasses at church. He died for our sins, we were sinners, and uh, we're going to get to heaven through him, right? It's a distilled gospel, really is. It's packaged real neat, it's given out to kids at Sunday school, it's given out to us in pamphlets, it's like we so... Yeah, he so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, right? How many times has that been said? And it is relevant. God, it's true. It's beautiful. But what about the rest? See, we, we live in this world. The, the modern church lives in this world, and this thing called substitutional atonement. Who's ever heard that term? Like, yeah, A few of us have heard substitutional atonement, right? It is, oh, it's scary, because you, you know, it's basically talking that Jesus needed to die on the cross to atone for our sins. Sounds great, but what if you're the other? <laughs> what if, what if you're not in the church? What if you haven't had your healthy dose of? Uh, dogma or, or, you know, you haven't had enough Christianese. It's a language, trust me. There's many dialects. But what, there's the Southern Baptist Christianese. There's the Pentecostal Christianese. But what if you haven't, you don't know enough of it? What if you're fresh to this? What if you're watching online right now and you're like, what is this guy on about? Let me, let me break down the substitutional atonement for you in real modern language. Ah, oh, and I feel real bad about saying it this way. God basically said to his son, I want you to kill yourself so I don't release all my pent-up violence and wrath on your wife. Think about it. We've distilled the gospel down to this little cool thing where God's wrath and his violence and his punishment is coming. I'm, I'm raising my fist. It's coming. And son, you gotta, you got to take the hit so your wife doesn't. I'm sorry, I'm sorry if y'all heard that at home got offended and you want to turn this off. Don't, hold up. Because when we talk about how God died on the cross, that's how we're portraying it to the world. That's how this comes across to non-Christians who have never had Christianese. You might've gone to church a few times as a kid, but then you grow up and you grow up in this world and you become an adult and you see things, you experience hurt, you experience pain, and they define you. Philosophers say our first moment of self-realization is when we wake, come out of the womb and we're hungry. And we discover there's something other than ourselves when we get nursed. That's our first moment of ourselves and others and it involves pain because we're hungry. It's a philosophical thing. People can argue that all day long. But I think it's a beautiful picture of our first existential crisis but the thing is people have pain in their lives people have been abused people have seen bad things people are so often defined by the negative and then here we are saying we are the positive and then we portray this really weird picture that god so loved the world that he told his son to go through the worst pain imaginable so he wouldn't hit his bride because that's the language we use for the church. That's the language we use for ourselves. We are the bride of Christ. We are beloved. We use all this awesome language we just had in the song Jyra. And then we're only portraying the God who hurt his son for us. I'm sorry, but that's not moral or ethical. Even by biblical standards. Because Jesus, he chose it. One, I mean, uh, no, no, no. That's later on, Logan. Stop. Slow down. My point is, when Abraham went to kill his son, God stopped him. Kill your son for me so you can have blessings. Canaanite religion. We forget Abraham was a Canaanite. And God said, stop. I'm going to provide a way. I provide the sacrifice. Abraham had no idea. This whole thing of God always meeting us. I've preached on before, meeting us where we're at. And showing us his true nature through our belief system to shatter it. Always. It's a beautiful thing. And that's kind of what I want to address today. It's a hard thing. And this is a hard part of my sermon. And I'm so sorry for it. But that's how we're showing God to ourselves. Not just to the outside world, but to ourselves. See, (laughs) When you join a group, when you become part of a group, whether willingly or not, when you uh, start to affiliate with a group's belief system, you start to conform to it. I'll confess today, I didn't wear the clothing I wanted to wear because I thought it wouldn't quite fit the bill. It wasn't outrageous, wasn't weird. i just gonna have my shirt tucked in and suspenders on. And I thought I looked a little too aggressive and I didn't like that. I looked very brawler, you know, London gangster. It's like ah, I can't pull this off. I, <laughs> I think it looks a little too much to be on stage. But that thing, I was conforming. I didn't even realized it to yeah, I, I was like conforming. And i y'all who know me, I'll wear whatever I want to wear. I, but I'm like, oh man, I conformed today. I'm, I'm, I'm me. Y'all know me, and no two ways about me. some days. but my point is. When you're part of a group, you start to conform to its beliefs. The more of the beliefs you get involved in, the more you start to conform to it. The more you want to really latch on to it, right? The more you, you know, church, you start coming to church, you start dressing nicer on Sundays, blah, 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 blah. You start to conform to what you see or what you experience or what you believe. <clears throat> Excuse me, what you believe. And we do that with our faith, We've always done that with our faith. We start to conform to the church. We go to the stuff we hear, to the stuff we read, to the the poison we swallow. And that's okay. That's human nature. We are social. God made us to be together. Together we prevail. (sighs) But this is where it gets real dark and twisted with God and God because we're so obsessed with sin Our whole relationship in the last 300 years, arguably more and depending on whatever you want to go down history tracks, we'll talk later. But it's been our hill to die on. We're so focused on it that it's tainting how we view God, which taints how we view ourselves and others. see we 're so willing to die on this hill of sin because we keep, but we keep forgetting we 're already dead to sin. Oh, think about that y'all I okay, have Romans seven one to four up there. I write to you, dear brothers and sisters, who are familiar with the law, those at home who are not the law yeah, it's pretty quick to pick up yeah, just don't do all these things and you won't be sinning against God, right? Whole long list, the law. And there's a complicated contractual relationship. The Israelites begged for it, God gave it to them. It wasn't God's plan, and that's a messed up thought. So, I write to you, dear brothers and sisters who are familiar with the law, don't you know that when a person dies, it ends his obligation to the law? Mm. For example, I love how he is always giving examples in ways we understand Weirdly, they translate well today. A married couple is bound by the law to remain together until separated by death. But when one spouse dies, the other is released from the law of the marriage. So then if a wife is joined to another man while still married, she commits adultery. Kind of self-explanatory. But if her husband dies, she is obviously free from the marriage contract and may marry another man without being charged with adultery. So, my dear brothers and sisters, The same principle applies to your relationship with God. For you died to your first husband, the law, which defined sin. If you read beforehand and you read after in Romans, that's why I said homework, guys. The law defines sin, and through defining sin, awakened it in us. And through awakening it in us, through showing us what sin was, we became slaves to it. you died to your first husband, the law, by being co-crucified with the body of the Messiah. Again, real Christianese language for y'all at home, but because Jesus died for our sins, as the old saying goes, we died up there with him. We forget that, y'all. We forget that so much and I'm going to use y'all because I migrated down to the south. (laughs) So you are now free to marry another. The one who is raised from the dead so that you may now bear spiritual fruit for God leave that up there so you may now you are now free to marry another keeping the metaphor keeping in line with what he's saying we are now free to choose God there's no dowry for this marriage there's there's no price to pay for this marriage we are free to we are free to choose God When you are defined by what you're against, it changes how you see yourself and others, doesn't it? See, I noticed something there. Paul, there are there are other ways to put it, the, the, you're free from the law. Uh, other translations say you're free from the law of sin and death. And that I use the Passion Translation, it's very flowery. Um, there's a few reasons for that. It's, very, uh, it's more in line with the spirit of what's trying to be said than simply trying to directly translate, because we lose a lot in translation between three languages. Um, best case scenario, depending on the texts. But he defined us not by what we're against, but by what we're for in that passage. And I'm going to make a real hard statement. Based off that. You, know, you want to challenge me after? Give me a call. I'd love to sit and talk to you about this. Because I'm about to make a statement. Fred makes these big bomb drop statements and I love them. And when I get up here to do them, it, it's a real challenge for me. I'm being honest with you all tonight. It's a challenge for me. Because when I make these statements, they can be taken out of context so easily. Because the ones I seem to make are scary. <laughs> but... Sin is not defined by the law anymore. It is defined by the character of Christ. We are so obsessed with sin, how it was defined. It used to be defined by the law. I mean, that's essentially, you keep reading into five and six, um, you read the whole passage together. That's where I got that statement from. That's where I got that realization, that understanding from. Because we are defining sin by the law still in church, in Christianity, to the secular world. When we complain about the secular world, I don't want that in my movies or I don't want to see that happening. What we define behind closed doors when we make our laws in our country, whether we do or we don't, whether we're for it or against it, it doesn't matter. We're still defining ourselves and others by the law by what it used to say what sin was and why. But it's now defined by the character of Christ and who he is. Not who he was, who he is. He's alive. We keep forgetting that, I feel, too, in church. See, I want you to defy what has been said of us. I want you to defy what has been said about Christ. I want you to defy this, this doctrine, this, this group that we've established. That's why I said define with this whole thing. It's sort of play on words. I want you to defy it and redefine it because here we are in this apex, this, this moment in our lives where we can have these discussions quite freely and not be kicked in the door, not be denounced publicly by politicians. We can, but it won't change our lives. You go back to the 50s if you believed in social health care you'd be denounced as a communist that's a living memory in this country it's a living memory in this country where a wife couldn't get a bank account without her husband's permission in some states up until nearly when I was born there's a lot of rules in this country in most countries where we couldn't do things freely and here we are to do it so here we are talking about this really hard conversation because I want you to understand who we are we sing about it. We sang about it just now. That we are beloved. Yeah. That he's a good, good father. We are sons and daughters. You've heard it all year from Fred, myself, Jason. You heard it last year when we launched. Who we are in Christ. We say it time and time and time again. But we keep going back to what we were. Yeah. We keep living out of the old. We keep living out of the old text as, um, as it says in Romans, the old, the old written word, the law. We keep defining sin not by Christ and what he's done and what he's continuing to do. See, God didn't stop at the cross. That's why I'm so frustrated at substitutional atonement. It's theology. Theology is like fan fiction. You take an original book and you write what you want about that story and think this is how the story should be written. Theology is so often fan fiction. And then doctrine is us applying it to our churches. Don't get me wrong, everyone's got a theological viewpoint. We're human. But this one thing the church has gripped that we have still latch onto, that we still look at sin, that we're still defining our lives with Christ by our sin. He doesn't. He doesn't. We are free to choose him now. We're dead to sin. How I can't, I can't, I, I want to yell it. I wanna yell this out, but I've got a parade ground voice and I can't. I just, something in me. We are part of this family of Christ, this body of Christ. We are loved by Christ. We have been chosen by Christ. We have not been denied by him. We have not said, if you wanna join with me, you have to pay X, Y, Z. You're not reminded. In this country, we say freedom isn't free. And you're right, people die for freedom in this world. Christ died for freedom. But here's the thing, we're still focused on the cost. We're still focused on the payment, the sin, the price tag before, the debt we accrued, because this freedom is free. If you were to buy an entire grocery store out, right now, all its shelves, and then go out to the person walking about to walk in the door and say, have what you want, it's yours. Take what you need, take what you want. It's all yours if you want it. Spread the word, tell your neighbors, come in here. And everyone comes in and everyone takes the shelves and they clean it here and every day you refresh it. Every day, every single thing that's gonna be taken from that shelf is replenished and you can't run out of it. Do you then look at the next person walking in and say, Paid for that. Is that what God does? Does he say, yeah, thank me for that, bro. I got you. No, no, no. It's free. He doesn't remind you of the cost. Oh, my goodness. And here we are in the shop, Christians, in the shop, saying, I remember how much this cost when I took this when I shouldn't have when I was underage drinking and I stole the bottle of wine from the shelf, I remember how much I should have paid. Here, Jesus, here's some money. Jesus, no, no, it's pay. There's no price. I wiped away all the price tags. Everything's permissible. Not everything's beneficial. That's called maturity, spiritual maturity. Fred did a whole series on that. Go back, y'all. I need to go back sometimes. There's moments. But my point is... We keep reminding Christ. We keep reminding ourselves of our past. We use it as a shield to block intimacy with others. We use it as a weapon to to keep the outside world at bay when we don't like what we see. We use our past. We use sin to control what we're comfortable with with Jesus. Hands up. I I mean, I'm serious. Hands up if you've uh, experienced people speaking in tongues around you right hands up if you've seen what you would consider a miracle okay hands up if you've seen someone raised from the dead scary things right and and those at home those in this room there's this level of doubt right there's this level of doubt because again going back to Jesus we're so sin focused we forget all his miracles We forget to take that as His story. Instead, it's just this convenient side story like, oh, yeah, He did these cool things on the way to the cross. No, 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 no. So many churches, so many Christians, so many people in the faith already love to use, that was for another time. Or, I haven't experienced that, so it's not real. Or, I didn't hear from God on this, so you can't have. We like to use negatives because we're not comfortable with our faith. We're not comfortable with Jesus. If y'all believe that He was raised from the dead, why are y'all believing He can't raise someone else from the dead? That's a hard pill to swallow. It's a hard pill for me to swallow some days. It's hard for me when I've got a migraine or I've got food poisoning and be like, it's hard for me to pray to God. You want to hear the truth? It's hard for me to pray to God when I'm sick. Because I'm scared he's going to do it. I'm scared he's going to heal me. The moment of vulnerability right there, it's hard for me. But I'm scared. So scared. Because it just makes it that much more real, doesn't it? What if he did? Oh, what if he did? then what if I have to confront the other insecurities I have with Jesus, the other fears? What if I have to confront my sin again? What if I have to look back and realize when I said, screw you, God, when I was 17 years old? What if I have to look back at that moment? I'm so insecure about the choices I made still. I'm, so, I'm still so scarred from the pain I caused on myself and others that I'm scared to even trust God further. That's because I'm still focused on the sin. Ah. Romans 18, uh, 6, 18. I love this verse, and I'm, I'm going to read this to you. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us. As he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. When my son comes to me crying, I don't tell him the cost of what he did. I comfort him. I'll talk to him about not wanting to make that choice again. He has a habit of being very aggressive with his head and objects, but when he comes to me crying, or when he's screaming in anger and frustration, I've learned to do this thing. That I didn't start doing with my kids. I hold them. I hold my children when they're throwing a fit. Y'all notice and y'all like, "Why are you smacking that child?" He's throwing a tantrum, and I hold him. And I ask him what's wrong. It's this thing that I've realized in my faith that God's done to me every time I've thrown a tantrum. Every time I've yelled at God, every time I've been struggling, every time I've been so focused on what I've done, and God, how can I progress from me? How can I get better from this moment? How can I let go of this pain, this insecurity, these scars from my sin or others' sins against me? God just holds me. And we forget so often that we're a beloved child. Because we've defined ourselves as this trophy, as this abused bride. We've defined ourselves not as a child of God, not as sons and daughters, not as ears to, to his glory, to everything. It's all there and we keep skimming over it and focusing on the fun verses we can be like, ha, this is a hard thing we can write a doctrine about. This is a thing I can feel comfortable with because I know I was bad and naughty. We keep forgetting. We keep forgetting we're beloved. We keep forgetting that he calls us by name. He calls us by name and we keep forgetting that. We are not what we've been defined as. We are not, Christ is not who we've tried to distill him into, he's so much greater. Maybe I didn't make that clear enough earlier. It frustrates me that we distill Jesus down into a pamphlet or a tract that can so easily be described because we can't. We don't even understand our own relationship with him most days, but we're trying to sell him. We're trying to give out free shots at the bar to keep people coming back for the poison. You ever thought about that in church? We keep trying to keep them coming with guilt and shame and sin and, and, and the sales pitch that Jesus died for you. So you wouldn't get beaten. No. No. I'm gonna go off the rails here. Can I go back to the start of creation? Can I go back to it? When we were in the garden, and and, and I say we, we love to blame woman. It's problematic to me, but here we are. This is how the story was written. We ate from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there were consequences. And part of that consequence was separation from walking with Jesus in the cool of the day. God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, Trinity, Yahweh. We were not walking anymore in the cool of the day with God. We had to work to get the land to provide. There was pain in childbirth. There it was, it was, it was a series of interesting consequences, real philosophical stuff. But here's the thing. It's not that we were sinning. It's so that we wouldn't eat from the tree of eternal life. We were removed not from the garden because we were an abomination. We were removed from the garden so that we wouldn't live forever, forever, without being understand and have that relationship with God again. He's like, "You've made your choice." but I can't let you make it worse. I can't let you suffer forever without me because we were made to be together. Let's reread that, right? Let's rethink the perspective on Eden. If we just look at it as we didn't obey God, then we can forget nearly everything about Jesus' love for the poor. We can forget nearly everything Paul says about us being beloved children. We can forget so much if we only focus on this one concept that we disobeyed God. There's so much more to that story. There's so much more depth. Because if my children just disobeyed me, sure, but that doesn't mean I'm banishing them for life. No, 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 no. Let's look at it this way. My child just ate something that's so toxic it could kill those around him. But I've given him a way to keep living. I've given him chemo. I've given him a way to keep recycling, but it's going to kill him. The consequence is death, but he's going to live a functional life because that's what happened. Adam and Eve left the garden and still lived. They didn't die then and there. When it says the wages of sin is death, death in the Hebrew context, shalom, the grave, was a whole metaphorical, philosophical concept of a pre-written language that said we were forever apart from God. That's why Jesus getting raised from the dead mattered. Because he was no longer separated from God again. Why would he cry, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me right before the moment of death? Because he felt so forsaken like we did. He felt apart, away, separated from. The grave was a place, and it was a separation, and it was, I mean... 300 years of Christianity saying we the, we, we deserve to be beat and he's going to beat us. This is what we've forgotten. This is what we missed. This beauty of this love story that God wants us back. Yeah. He wanted to have a cure for the poison we've taken and he came and he gave it and then we're still thinking we've got the poison in us but we're beloved. Yeah. I can't I can't get the words out today, guys, that I can't express this enough. I can't, forgive me because I don't have the eloquence to tell you that you're dead to sin. That sin isn't defined by what it was, but what it was you're dead to. And that's hard for people to swallow. There's connotations to that. That's why I struggled so much to make that statement. Sin is no longer defined by what was written down. So I want you to look at the law. I want you to go back through your Bible and read all that and say, that's not sin anymore. That might be the hardest thing to do of your Christian walk. Sin, the wages of sin is death. Death in their context was not hell, it was separation from God. Hell came from Dante. So much of this fire and brimstone and burning stuff, that's Dante. That's that era of everything. It's the Italians. Oh, Mamma mia. But we, sorry if you're Italian, but my point is this this is, it's relationship. It's walking back in the cool of the day with Jesus. It's your choices matter to him, not because he's putting a scratch record on a board anymore. They matter to him because he loves you. My children's choices matter because your choices matter because I love you. Your decisions matter. Your mistakes matter, not because I'm mad, not because I can't be in your presence anymore, because God can be in your presence, because you're dead to sin. Stop shouting that from the pulpit. Stop saying that to yourself. Stop saying that to the people outside that you're an enemy of God. How many times have I heard that? How much church hurt's been there? Y'all who know about church hurt. He can be in your presence. He chooses your presence. He loves you. I'm rambling, but guys, I can't express this enough. This is a zero exchange relationship. I wrote this down. I heard it in a song. I didn't. I'm, I'm plagiarizing. It's a beautiful song. Stop trying to scratch the pain of the masterpiece you are. Stop trying to nip, tuck, and rhinoplast away the image you were made into. Stop trying. To forget the face whose image you were made in. You have your daddy's eyes. You are loved. Your past has hurt. Our pasts have hurt. What we've done has caused damage. There are consequences. I'm not saying there ain't. My liver probably hates me for it. There are consequences. But here's the cool thing. Here's the most beautiful thing of it all. We get to walk every day fresh. Because we are loved. We don't have to go to him and keep asking for forgiveness. We don't have to go to him and saying, Man, I'm so sorry I did that. He's already forgiven you. He wants to know how you're feeling. He wants to pick you up when you're throwing a fit and ask what's wrong Why are you still screaming about this? It's over. It's done. I want you to redefine your faith today. I want you to redefine your Christianity. today. I want us to redefine this group. I want us to constantly be redefining prevail. I want us to constantly be looking out at this world and saying, how can we stop making them as the other? How can we stop making ourselves in the church as the other? How can we stop saying we're against this and start saying instead we're for you? Because that's what God's done the whole time. It's about everything, not just political, not just religious. I want us to constantly be looking at ourselves and thinking, what have I got in this bubble that's stopping me from seeing Jesus? What's, what's, what's holding me back from him? Are we still using our sin, our past, our pain as a shield? Are we still using others' sins as a shield against them, keeping them at bay? Are we keeping Jesus at bay? I'm sorry if it was Heavy. I'm sorry if it was a little over the place. I'm sorry if you feel I said some heretical stuff. But The Bible's kind of clear on it, eh? The Bible's real pretty clear that our sin is irrelevant to Him and it will always be irrelevant to Him. I want you to walk out of here today hopefully challenged hopefully not mad at me hopefully hearing what i've been trying to get across in my desperation that you don't have sin anymore with god that you're not apart from him that you're beloved that you're chosen that you are here no matter where you are at home on the road in this building and you are loved and that's enough I want you to walk away knowing that you're loved by our beloved Father. God, I thank you so much for everyone here today. God, I thank you so much for people on the road, at home. God, I ask that you would, I ask that you would defy our definition of you. I would ask that you defy our definition of ourselves. That you would, God, that you would show us that we're loved. That you would show us that we are not defined by our sin anymore. Just as you are not. I sit in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us here at Prevail Church for this podcast. We hope this experience builds your faith and impacts your life. For more information about Prevail Church, visit us online at prevail.tv. Now let's tune in.